And we're back, as promised, Indie Author Spotlight Episode 2 for From Men and Angels by H.L. Walsh. So excited that uh, I get to share this with you. Hope you uh, enjoyed the first episode and that you're back for more here on the second episode. As you listen, I want you to be considering buying the uh, pre-ordering the book. It's coming on sale here within the next month or so, so you definitely want to go down to the show notes below and click on that link and support this indie author who's doing something that they love and bringing awesome fantasy fiction to the world. Thanks for listening today, guys. So now without further ado, I give you Chapter 2 of From Men and Angels. Chapter 2 They made it to the blacksmith shop none too soon for Malik, and they went inside. The blacksmith was a big, burly man with a large, jet-black beard and a bald head. The man, Togan Ravenbart, had been a good friend to Malik for a long time. Malik thought it was because the man had lost his wife and son a couple of hundred years ago to a fire. He always said Malik reminded him of his son, and he had taken to the boy. Malik made sure to visit the gruff man every time he was in town, even if he didn't need anything from him. Tobin looked up as Malik and Jekram walked through his door. He had been sharpening one of the blades he had on display. He stood menacingly, brandishing the weapon. He looked from Malik to Jekram and back to Malik. Everything all right here, Malik? he asked, eyeing Jekram again. This man bothering you? Yes. Jekram gave a started squeak, and Malik amended his statement. But I'm here to do business, nothing else, Togan. Togan sat, picking up the whetstone and starting to hone the blade in his hand again. Malik continued. Togan, this is Jekram Raybella, Arjun's brother. I came upon him with a couple of friends on the road into town. I seem to have lost two of my good arrows in them, if you know what I mean. Jekram wanted to return the favor and replace my arrowheads for me. Togan nodded, but still didn't say anything. He didn't even take his eyes off his work. Jekram spoke up now with a little annoyance edging his voice. Could I get a half dozen of your best arrowheads? Uh, just your normal arrowheads, please, Togan. Malik corrected quickly and turned to Jekram to explain. If I get the different heads, I have to adjust my aim and make the shafts since they are different weight. They make the arrow act differently. Togan pulled out three arrowheads and set them on the counter. I only have three right now. You can pay for them all, and Malik can pick them up next time he's in town. Jekram looked at Malik, and Malik nodded. That's fair. Jekram pulled out two gold coins from his purse and placed them on the counter. Togan raised one eyebrow at him. They're two silver coins each, so you're short two silver pieces. Oh, sorry, my good man. He reached into his purse again and proffered two more gold coins. You can keep the change. Togan's eyebrows went up again, and he looked at Malik, who shrugged in response. Togan slid the four gold coins off his counter and put them behind it. He sat back down, grabbing a sword of his display, and began sharpening again. Malik and Jekram turned and left the building. When the door had shut behind them, Jekram spoke. Cheery fellow, isn't he? It was a rhetorical question. He'll warm up a little once you get to know him, but yes, to most he doesn't talk much. Malik explained. Well, this is where we part ways, I think. I'll see you in the morning at your farm. Malik again offered his hand as a parting gesture, and Jekram took it and then turned and walked away. He watched Jekram until he was out of sight, then turned and went back inside the blacksmith's shop. Togan had his feet propped up on the counter now, obviously finished sharpening the sword he had out just moments ago. How'd you end up saddled with him? He asked. He asked for my services hunting out at his new farm. Since he was kin to Arjun, I agreed. Malik walked around the other side of the counter and sat in a chair opposite Togan. 
Could you believe you didn't think I was a hunter? Malek, you're still young. Turgon took a fatherly tone with him. You're not even twenty-one yet. What's your point? I'm the best hunter this side of Pangor River, and you know it, he objected. Malak, you know better than to be prideful, Togan admonished. You know people outside the valley don't know a thing about you. You're a great hunter, but just a hunter. You've never been out of this area. His nose in the valley, cut him some slack. You're right, Malak conceded. I just wish I didn't have to leave the valley. I mean, it's all I know. Can I count on you to check my parents' cottage here and there? Make sure it's standing when I get back? Of course, but I thought you had the Raybellas and Wervins watching over it, Togan asked, confused. I do. I just thought they might not have enough time to check on it, and a third person with eyes on it would be a good idea, he replied. Malak, you're too worried about leaving. Togan shook his head at him and chuckled, a chuckle that rumbled through his chest, low and warm. You're not gonna miss much, and nothing's gonna change while you're gone. In fact, you'll probably meet new friends and have a good time in the neutral territory. You might even meet a girl who could put up with you for more than five minutes. Togan slugged him in the shoulder and guffawed loudly at the look of dejection on Malik's face, and Malik couldn't help but smile at the man's laughter. Then he had a mischievous thought. What about you? I mean, you've been making eyes at Marina for almost a year now. When are you going to start doing something about that? Malik gave him a half-smile as Togan pretended to be confused. Oh, you're talking about the waitress at the tavern. <laughs> Togan crossed his arms. I haven't been making eyes at her. Just she's pretty, that's all. Well, you better make a move before someone else does. Get out of here, you little whelp. Togan took a playful swing at him, and Malik easily ducked out of the way and hopped out of the chair. You're getting slow, old man. He laughed again and vaulted the counter. Eh, you're not worth chasing. Togan got up slowly and put both hands on the counter. Did you need anything else before you go? Yeah, do you happen to have any whetstones for sale? He asked with his hand on the door. Nah, the only ones I got are the ones I use. Togan held up the one that was in his hand. But I heard the general store got a shipment in. You might check there and see if they got any left. Alright, thanks Togan. Oh, one more thing. Malik whirled, jogged back out to his cart, picked up the two swords and carried them back inside. Do you recognize these swords? He set the swords on the counter, and the big blacksmith picked up the one that wasn't sheathed. This is not my making. He flipped it over and looked at the other side. I don't see any marks identifying what blacksmith crafted it, but it's not well made, I can tell you that. He looked it over one last time, and then set it back down on the counter. My guess is it's from a different town, crafted by an apprentice blacksmith. I can give you two coppers for each for the metal itself, but they aren't worth wielding or repairing. Deal, I don't want them. Togan handed him four copper coins. Also, do you have any hunting knives made at the moment? I need to get one for Dazyar's birthday. He's turning twenty-one after all. You know I do. He had his eye on that ten-inch one with a redwood handle. It's one of the best. Togan pulled out a wooden box and handed it to Malik. Since it's one of our best, I'll part with it for the meat of the next deer you get. That's overkill and you know it, Malik exclaimed, pretending to be upset with the deal and looked the knife over. It was one of his best, almost as good as the one hanging from Malik's own belt. Half the meat of the deer. Fine, half of everything else but the whole rump, Togan bargained. Togan! 
Malik paused their bargaining by holding a hand up. You know, I might not be able to bring down a deer before I leave, right? Then you'll pay me when you get back, Togan said simply. Business is good, and it won't hurt me any to it. Fine, Malik agreed. Then we have a deal. They shook on it, and Malik picked up the box that held the knife. You know, your love for venison will drive you out of business. He turned and walked outside, bidding farewell to the blacksmith. The knife hanging off his own belt was an early birthday gift from the blacksmith. He had given it to Malik early, as he ended up snapping his other one in half when he was facing down a wild boar. When he had taken it to the blacksmith to get it repaired, Togan had handed him this new knife and told him he had intended it to be Malik's birthday present, but didn't mind giving it to him early since the one he had was broken. Malik stuffed the box into his pack so that Dazial wouldn't see it when he got to the Wervin's house. Dazial's birthday was in two days, and the day after it, he would start his journey to the neutral territory to live and learn there for two years. They had planned to meet up in the town of Nuot and possibly live together. Nuot was the only city in the neutral territory. Unfortunately for Malik, he would have to get used to the big city. Malik looked at Skye. To anyone passing by, she would have looked half asleep, not paying much attention to the people around her. Malik knew, however, she was tense and nervous. She didn't like the town, but she would always go with Malik anyway. He knew she was poised and would spring into action if the occasion demanded. She had never attacked humans unless provoked, but sometimes Malik worried about her doing something when they were in town because of how on edge she always was. He picked up the cart and headed towards the general store. He got the few things he needed, including the whetstones, paying for them with the money he had taken out of the highwayman's purse. After that, he headed toward Dazia's house, which was on the opposite end of town from the gate where he'd entered earlier. It didn't take him long to cross town, however, and when he got there, Dazia opened the door before Malik even set the cart down. Dazia was a big man, muscular and tall. He was the only one around close to Malik's height, and one of the only boys, when they were in training, who could take Malik one-on-one. Dazia charged toward Malik, but Skye intercepted him, jumping on Dazia and knocking him flat on his back. He bear-hugged the dog and laughed, calling to Malik, Get your vicious beast in check! She nearly killed me! She was simply defending me. I should just let her tear you to shreds! Malik pushed Skye to the side and took Dazia's hand. He pulled his friend to his feet and into an embrace. How have you been? Good. You know, I'm just getting ready for my journey. Mom and Dad have been helping me pack things I'm going to need. I just wish I could get that hunting knife that Togan had in his shop, the one with the redwood handle. Dazia looked a little disappointed. Mom said they didn't have the money to buy it, or anything to trade for it. Dad said he would have enough a week from now, but I will already be gone by then. Dad's overseeing the building of that new farm south of town. Or should I say, rebuilding. That derelict house needed to be demolished and built from the ground up. Have you heard? Arjun's brother is building down that way. Daziar tended to ramble a little when he was excited, or nervous, or worried, or just about any other time. Slow down, Daz. Malik held up his hands as if to physically slow Daziar down. I know about the new Raybella's farm. Jekram, Arjun's brother, came to me this morning looking to get my help hunting something that's been taking his animals. Malik related the events from that morning, including the highwayman and how he had saved Jekram. Daziar let out a low whistle. Wow, you really messed him up, didn't you? Just the one guy, and I didn't mean to put that arrow in his eye. I'm just glad I didn't pull a full draw, or I would be pulling the body into town on my cart. Malik grabbed his pack, and they headed for the door of the house. Don't tell your mom about the highwayman business, or she'll worry about us for the whole two years we're gone. At least she'll worry more than she does now, Daziar corrected, and they walked into the house. The house was simple, made out of wood inside and out. 
The dining room was directly to the right inside the front door, and contained a small table that would just barely seat six people. To the left was the kitchen, separated by the counter that was waist-level to Malik. Ahead and to the left, around the wall, was the living space, and to the right was a hall that led to three rooms. One was the girls' room for Dazia's two sisters, one was the boys' room that Dazia and Malik had shared while he lived with them, and the last was the parents' room. Malik announced he had arrived, and Janari, Dazia's mother, came out of the kitchen and gave him a death grip of a hug around his waist. Just when Malik thought he might pass out, she released him. She took his face between her two hands, turning his head to the right and then to the left, looking at him. Ah, I wish you would live with us where it's safer, and not up there in the cottage all alone. She smiled then and let his face go. I'm glad you made it down safely. Did you have any issues on the way? There have been rumours of bad men around lately, and there were a couple of people robbed in the last week. Janari turned and went back into the kitchen, so she didn't see the look that passed between Dazia and Malik. Everything went fine on the way down. Malik only halfway lied. He didn't have any problems because he took care of his problem. Janari was a slight woman, short and skinny, contrasting her son, and she barely came up to Malik's chest. Daniel, Dazia's father, was also not very tall, but still heartily built, like Dazia. Malik didn't know where Dazia's height came from, but they'd always joked that he had simply been trying to keep up with Malik as they grew up together. Daniel came in just then from one of the back rooms with Dazia's two sisters on his heels. Both of the girls looked almost exactly alike, though they weren't twins. The biggest difference was one had brown hair and the other was blonde. They both had the build of their mother and probably wouldn't get too much taller. Mal! They both shouted and ran around their dad to hug Malik. Malik knelt down and hugged them both, one in each arm, and then picked them up, turning it into a bear hug. He sat them down after a couple of moments. Malik, Daniel said in his gravelly voice. It's been too long. They clasped each other's arms in greeting. I can't stay long, he said, drawing a disappointed groan from the girls. I just came by to bid Daz a safe journey and give him his present for his birthday. I won't be able to see him again until I get to Nuart. Malik pulled the box with a hunting knife out of his bag and handed it to Daziar. He took it and looked at his family excitedly, then back to Malik. You know you didn't have to get me anything, right? Daziar said, though Malik knew he was saying it to be cordial. Oh, Malik said with a mischievous grin. In that case, I'll just return it and get my money back. Open it up, you little softy. Fine, fine. You don't have to be rude about it. Daziar pulled the box to his chest, as if Malik was going to try and take it from him. He set it on the table to open it. Once he saw what was in the box, he looked up with wide-eyed excitement. Well, what is it, Daz? Maleta asked, almost excited as he was. It's that knife I was wanting from Togin's shop! He almost shouted with excitement. Thanks, Mal! It must have cost you an arm and a leg! Janari said in her normal, concerned tone. How did you ever pay for it? You know how Togin likes his venison, Malik stated. Mal, you're the best brother I never had. Daziar clasped his arm and pulled him close. When he pulled back, Malik said, Well, I have to keep moving. I'm already behind, and if I want to get back to the cottage before nightfall, I need to go. Let me make you a sandwich for the road, Janari said and hurried into the kitchen. That's really not necessary, Malik protested. Nonsense, Janari said, and continued pulling out things to make a sandwich. When she was finished, she poured him a flask of water and put the sandwich into a small brown sack before handing it to him. Here you are, Malik. Thanks, Janari. I really appreciate it, Malik responded. He bid them all farewell and gave Emmeline, Marletta, and Janari each another hug. He was sad he had to leave because he didn't know when he would see them again, 
but he didn't want to be late for two reasons. One, it was harder to see the path in the dark, though he had managed several times in the past, and two, he didn't know if those bandits might be waiting for him to get a little revenge. He was more worried about the second than the first, but he didn't want to tell the Wervines that to make them worry. His last and longest stop for the day was the Raybella's farm. Arjun's farm, that was. North of the city, and a couple of miles up. He would be pushing it just to make it in time and get the things he needed. His trip to the farm was uneventful, and as he approached the farm, he marveled once again at the size, thinking to himself, How much land did one man need? Arjun Raybella was a rich man with a large belly. He was kind, but hard. He would help someone who would put in the work to help themselves, and he employed many people. Unlike his brothers, he didn't squander his money. Instead, he used it, and coupled with hard work, he multiplied it. He built the largest farm in the valley, and he continued to expand. Malik wondered what it must be like to be that rich, and thought that it could easily make a man stumble. Money seemed to make men do evil things, or become afraid and paranoid. He thought he would probably be happier living the way he did, having enough for what he needed, and maybe a little extra here and there. The sun was low in the sky, and had already started to turn orange. It gave the farm a very peaceful look. The hired hands had already gone in to clean up for dinner, and would be served within the hour. In fact, the only person that Malik could see was Honora Raybella. She was out in one of the fields riding a horse. Malik smiled to himself. She rode that horse for any chance she got. He knew it was her, even from this distance, because she was one of the only girls he knew that rode. Sure, most of them had been taught, but most people didn't have their own horse. She was a day older than Malik, and a week younger than Dazia. Honora would start the same journey as Dazia, but a week from now, and Malik would follow her just a day later. Arjun had asked Malik to find her and keep her safe on the week's journey to Nuat. In return, he had told Malik he would provide food for both of them on their journey. Malik didn't mind. He enjoyed Honora's company, and though she wasn't much for fighting, she could hold her own. He wouldn't have to worry too much about her. She had been trained like the rest of them until they were eighteen, and preferred a bow staff over any other weapon. When Malik got a little closer, she spotted him, and steered her horse towards him, waving. He waved back, though he kept walking. It took her just a couple of minutes to cross the distance on her horse. As she got closer, he could tell she had been riding that horse pretty hard. It was covered in sweat, and was breathing harder than normal. You're really working that poor girl, aren't you? Malik remarked. Ah, uh, she'll be fine. They're designed to carry people and other heavy loads for a while, and besides, she enjoys running. Honora said in response, and reined in a horse to walk next to him. She does, or you do? Malik quipped, knowing the response. We both do, Honora said defensively. She always got so heated about her horse that Malik couldn't help but poke a little fun at her. She caught sight of his grin and realized what he was doing. Cretan, just for that, I won't let you ride back to the farm with me. Not like I could anyway. I have to pull the cart to the house one way or another. Fine, she sighed. Have it your way, or tell father you're coming. She kicked her horse into a gallop and raced toward the house. The truth was, Malik didn't care for riding. He had had a few lessons, but he didn't enjoy it in the least. He figured it was because of the lack of control. It's true, he might have some control over the horse, but if it decided it really wanted to go somewhere, he wouldn't be able to get it to stop. At least not easily. So he mostly left the riding to other people. Not that there were many horses in the area anyway. The Raybellas were one of the only families to have horses, and were the only family to own more than one. Honora was an only child, and they pampered her a little. She had her own room, her own horse, and she even had what people called a mirror. Malik thought it strange to have such an expensive thing just to look at your reflection in. Why not just go to a lake or pond, or even a little puddle right after it had rained? 
Even though Honora was spoiled, she was not stuck up. He was always impressed by that. Even when they were younger and in training, she would share some of her food with him and Dazia at lunch, or she would let them, mostly Dazia, ride her horse whenever they wanted, and so on. She didn't look down on anyone and was always putting others above herself. She was as close as someone got to an angel these days, Malik mused. When he reached the farm, the sun was starting to get low in the sky, and he knew he couldn't stay long. He had just long enough to collect, load, and pay for what he had came here for. The Raybellas grew food as well as raised animals, and they even had an orchard. They produced most of the vegetables and fruit for the whole valley. There were a few other, smaller farms that provided a few certain things, but the Raybellas had a little of everything. At least, that's how it seemed to Malik. He always tried to buy from them when he needed anything. Since the apple he ate this morning was the last of his produce, that was what he was here for. He set his cart down just outside the barn where he would have to load the produce, hoisting his bag over his shoulder, and whistled for Skye. She fell into step with him, and they made their way to the house. Arjun came out of the house and waited for them to arrive. When they made it to the house, Arjun clasped Malik's arm and hauled him close. "'How you been, boy?' he asked in his gruff but not unpleasant voice. "'You've been taking care of yourself in this mutt of yours.' He knelt down and ruffled Skye's ears. She gave a playful growl in response, and he chuckled. "'Surviving,' Malik replied. "'It's been good hunting so far this season.' I got a boar a couple of weeks ago, a few squirrels, and a raccoon just the other night. A raccoon, eh? Arjun asked, looking around Malak to see if he could see it on the cart. Don't worry, I promise you the next raccoon I get, and you promised me some honey. Arjun chuckled again. That I did, that I did. I have some in the house. Malak pulled the packed meat out of his bag and followed the man inside. Arjun was still chatting as they went. Malak could see a small resemblance to his brother now that he looked a little harder, and they both liked to chatter non-stop. The difference was Arjun's conversations were about the harvest or hunting, or things that Malik could and wanted to talk about. Arjun left the personal questions out of his speech. He knew that Malik valued his privacy, and respected that, not to mention he already knew most of it. Since the harvest is over, don't you think? Arjun finished, but Malik had not been paying attention. What was the last thing? Malik asked. Sorry, I missed it. You need to get your ears looked at, boy. Arjun laughed. That'll cost your life in the woods. I was saying that things were going to slow down here, and you might think about taking one of my workers to help you hunt since the harvest is over. Arjun, you know I can't afford to pay someone. The only thing I have in abundance this time of year is meat, and because of the journey, I can't take anyone with me. I know, I know. It's that time in your life. Maybe one of my men wouldn't mind going with you in honour if paid. Arjun fell silent, knowing the answer to his question. I know you're worried about Honor and me as we make the journey, but you have already offered your men more than I could ever pay them, and none of them are willing to leave the valley just before winter. Malik reasoned with him. Malik. Arjun turned around, suddenly very serious. Malik knew what came next. It was a conversation they had had many times in the last couple of months. You protect her. She's my life. If anything were to happen... Yes, Arjun. I know you and your wife would be devastated, and you have already had me swear four times that I will do everything in my power to keep her safe. I don't intend to break my word, you know that. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, boy. Arjun looked very old and tired for a second. It's just, I'm her father. I'm supposed to worry about her. I understand, Malik said. Nothing is going to happen. We will spend two years in Nuat, and then we will be back here. Before you know it, you'll have a riding around the farm again and home for dinner every night. I pray you're right. Oh, I'm afraid you will want to stay in the city, Arjun said, 
but a little life returned to him anyway. He stood up straighter and turned back around, barging through the doors to the kitchen. How many jars do I owe ya? Does four sound fair? Malik knew that was too steep a price, but he knew that Arjun always enjoyed a good barter. Four jars! Arjun was almost shouting, but with a smile all over his face. His wife rushed in to see what the commotion was all about and smiled when she saw Malik. Mrs. Raber. Malik started to greet her. This boy is trying to get four jars of honey from me for one raccoon, Zara. Arjun interrupted. Zara just smiled a little bigger and said, Well, darling, if that's too outrageous a price, you shall kick him and his raccoon out. Arjun's face was a picture of shock, but he gained his composure quickly. Well, don't be too hasty. That raccoon is a pretty big one. He turned toward Malik again, chewing on his cheek as if he were thinking hard. I'll give you two jars of honey for it. It was Malik's turn to play the indignant part. Only two jars? I put a lot of work into that animal, and if you're going to swindle me like that, I'll take my business elsewhere. Malik started to walk around Arjun, and the man got in his way. Fine, fine. You're a hard man to deal with, but I'll give you two jars, and... He paused for dramatic effect. I'll throw in some honeycomb candy I made from it. This was the outcome Malik had intended to reach. It was fair, and both parties had a good time getting to this point of agreement. Deal. Malik put out his hand, and Arjun took it with hesitation. I'll go get the honey out of the pantry. He turned and started walking away, still giving directions as he went. Give the meat to Zara, and she will put it away. His voice was pretty distant now, but he could still be heard. I assume it's already preserved? Yes, with my blend of seasonings as well. Malik called in answer, handing the bag to Zara. Someday you're going to have to tell me what you put on that meat to make it so good. Arjun called again from the pantry. Oh no, I don't. That's my blend that I've come up with, and a herd of wild horses couldn't pull it out of me. Malik shouted back, winking at Zara, who smiled back, amused with her husband. Fine, Arjun conceded. I guess I'll just have to continue to do business with you. Malik looked out of the window and saw that the sun had almost set. He turned back to Arjun as he came back in with the honey. Also, I need these. Malik handed him a list of items that he needed to buy from him. And if you have any chicken feathers, I need to make some more arrows. No problem. Arjun called for one of his hired hands and handed him the list, telling him about the addition. John will go get the things you require. That'll be five silver coins. Malik handed him the equivalent of five silvers and looked out of the window again. He might have half the light he needed for the trip home. Well, I must be off. The sun is setting, and I have to get home soon. The woods aren't the safest place to be after dark, so the earlier I leave, the better. Are you sure you will be safe by yourself? Zara asked, worried. You're right. It's dangerous out there. You could just stay here with us and head back in the morning. No, no, I wouldn't want to intrude. And besides, I have a few things to square away before the morning. Malik politely declined as he took the honey from Arjun. I'll be heading to your brother's farm in the morning. Thank you for your kind offer, though, and I always have Sky to protect me. My brother? Arjun asked. What's he got you doing? He's had a few animals taken, Malik explained. I've got to find out what's taking them and kill it. Huh, Arjun grunted. I wonder he didn't ask me. Well, no matter. Be patient with my brother. He is used to easy life and being on top. He won't take kindly to being ordered around. To tell you the truth, he's a little rude at times. Really? I hadn't noticed. Malik retorted dryly. You spent some time with him? Arjun raised a brow. 
I saved him from a couple bandits on the road and walked to town with him, Malik explained. Would you believe that he yelled at me after I saved his life? I'd believe it, Arjun said, but Zara looked shocked. Though it was probably because he was more scared and powerless than anything. How can I repay you for saving my brother? Oh, not you too, Malik lamented. Your brother practically wanted to buy me a whole store in town. I would have done the same for anyone, and I don't want any payment for it. All right, fine, Arjun said, holding up his hand in surrender. Well, let me get you a third bottle of honey at least. I know how much trouble my brother can be. Fine, Malik conceded. But you don't owe me anything, all right? Well, just take it as an early birthday present, Zara said, and then her tone turned to one of warning. And you be careful. I don't want to find out in a few days that you got killed by those same highwaymen. They might be looking for payback. Don't worry, I will. Malik put the third jar of honey in his sack and said goodbye. He walked out of the door just as Honor was walking up the front porch. Skye was lying to Malik's right, lazily looking between them, not bothering to raise her hand. Are you leaving so soon? Honora asked in surprise. Malik briefly recounted the story of the bandits as his reason for leaving. I don't want to be out too late, and they will have more cover to ambush me if that is their plan. Fine. Honora looked disappointed. I just wish you could stay through dinner at least. I have to be up early to help your uncle track and hopefully kill whatever has been plaguing him, he replied, or I might have stayed. Well, be careful. I don't want you getting hurt before we head out on the journey. Don't worry, I haven't met anything yet that I can't handle. Honora's face turned from worried to playfully aghast in the blink of an eye. She shoved him and started berating him. Malik Tresh, you're getting too big of a head. Soon you'll think you can take on a demon and win. You never know. Maybe I can. Malik gave her a playful shove back. You boys and your egos. Well, fine then. Get out of here, and you better come back in one piece to see me off. I guess I might be able to make it to that, but you know that I'll be making the trip with you not a day later, right? Honora rolled her eyes. Yeah, I remember. Those are going to be an insufferable two weeks, to be sure. I agree, since I'll be protecting this innocent little damsel who seems to enjoy whining. With that, Honora took a swing at him and missed, as he had already turned and mounted off the porch. Malik, come back and take your medicine! She yelled after him as he and Skye ran to the cart. He arrived at the cart just as Jom was putting a second large bag on his cart. Jom had worked for the Raybella family for as long as Malik could remember. He was almost a part of the Raybella family, even taking meals with them at their table. The man didn't say much, but Malik liked him. The first of the two bags that Jom set on the cart would be flour, and the second would be fruit and vegetables for his week. He still had plenty of oil at the house. That seemed to run out a lot slower, especially since he could substitute it with some of the fat from the animals he killed. Thanks. He shook the man's hand and headed out. Skye now walked beside him. The road forked not far out from the Raybella's farm, and he took the right branch that would cut through the country toward his cottage and skip Brightwood. This would take off about a half hour, and the trouble of getting them to open the gates. As he headed up the hill to his cottage, the sun had finally gone behind the trees and darkness was falling fast. He tried to keep up a good pace, but he was headed uphill, so he was forced to slow down. He also had to be careful as he approached the tree line, as he couldn't tell who might be hiding there. He was well aware that the highwayman from earlier that day could be waiting there. As he passed under the first tree, he was breathing heavily and soaked with sweat, despite the cold nip in the air. It was fully dark now, and under that canopy of trees, the light of the moon and stars was snuffed out. He stopped for a moment to let his eyes adjust, and to take a drink of water from the flask he had gotten from the Wervens. 
The sandwich was long gone by now, and he was starting to get hungry again. However, all his senses were on high alert for any signs of danger. Skye was sitting next to him, and was on high alert as well, though she hadn't made a sound which was good. He gave her a drink of water, then picked up the cart to move on. They walked for a way without a sound, save for the crunching of Malik's boots, the silent padding of Skye's paws, and the creaking of the cart as it rolled along behind him. As they got closer to the cottage, he started to hear something. A few steps closer, and he recognized the sound as muffled voices. Skye's haggles raised, and a low growl emitted from deep within her throat. Malik put his hand out to his side in front of her, letting her know to wait. He set the cart down as quietly as he could. He came around to a bend to see the outline of the cottage. There were torches flickering in the windows. He stayed close to the trees, hoping to hide his presence until he was at the cottage. As he got closer, he could see that the cottage door was open, but he still couldn't see anyone. He almost laughed when he realized whoever was in his home had not bothered to leave a lookout. As he reached the cottage, sky behind him, he could see the shutters to the main living space and kitchen were open, so he snuck around the clearing until he was under one of the windows. He peeked up and over the sill and saw one of the three highwaymen from before. He was going through Malik's cupboards. He pulled out the container of jerky and opened the jar to pull out a strip of meat. He sniffed it and then hungrily tore in. Hey, guys! He shouted, turning around abruptly. Malik was forced to duck quickly so he wouldn't be seen. I found some food! Good stuff too! Dried meat! Malik could hear the man almost stomp out of the kitchen. Malik realized now he had left his bow on the cart. He silently berated himself for his lack of foresight. He would have to get to his room and get his father's old sword out of the chest at the foot of his bed. He peeked over the sill once again, and seeing no one, he vaulted through the window and into his kitchen. Sky followed as quietly as the night breeze. Malik looked around the house again, not seeing anyone. He moved quickly out of the kitchen and into the sitting room. His room was off to his left, and his parents' old room, which he had turned into a workroom, was straight ahead. Both doors were open, with light coming flickering in each one. If he could get to his room and get his father's swords, he could take them. Hey, Ray! One of the men called from the workroom, and Malik's heart nearly jumped out of his chest. Come here and look at what we found! The man that had been in Malik's kitchen stepped out from his room and spotted Malik. Malik acted quickly, more on instinct than anything. He moved across the room with as much speed as he could muster, pulling his knife as he went, holding it in a reverse grip. He swung his knife hand up and pulled the knife across the man's throat and put his hand over Bray's mouth before he could make a noise. Bray collapsed with a small gurgle. Malik caught his body and pulled him back into his room. Bray? The voice shouted again. Malik could hear the two men moving out of the workroom and heading his way. He moved to the chest and tore it open, not worrying about the noise. He dug around furiously, trying to find the sword. He couldn't find it. It wasn't here. Hey! Malik spun to see one of the men fill the door. He had just run out of time. He pulled his knife up and crouched into a defensive position. He remembered that he still had one arrow in his quiver. The man drew a sword, and Malik realized it was a sword he had been looking for. The man grinned evilly, and the flickering light on the man's one eye only made it look worse. Malik had a bark and a yell as the second man found out how untamed Sky was. For a split second, the man's smile left his face, but it returned as he heard his companion was still up and fighting. He took a menacing step forward. You were outmatched, boy, he spat. Now you'll pay for taking my eye. Malik was poised to meet the man's first attack when a deafening roar shook the house. It was like time had stopped. No one moved an inch. Everyone listened for any clue to where the roar came from and what had made it. Malik thought that there was something familiar about the sound, but he couldn't place it. After almost a minute, they didn't hear anything, and the man started to advance again. The roar came again, and this time it sounded like it was right outside the cottage. 
Malik moved, using the man's distraction to his advantage. Rushing forward, he pulled the last arrow from his quiver and stuck it into the man's good shoulder. Malik sidestepped around him, but held on to the arrow as he did. Once behind him, Malik levered the arrow up, causing the man extreme pain. He put his knife to the man's throat and turned him around, steering him by pulling the arrow. The man howled in pain and dropped the sword in his hand. Malik silenced him by digging the knife into his throat, drawing a trickle of blood. He took the man into the sitting room and found that if he had moved any slower, Skye would have been killed. The second man had gotten the upper hand and was standing over Skye's unconscious body, about to plunge his knife into his side. Drop the knife, Malik commanded. The second thief looked up before he finished his blow. He saw Malik and the knife at his leader's throat and dropped his own weapon. The door to the cottage blew inward with such force it was ripped off his hinges. Malik capitalized on the distraction by pushing the man toward the door and running to Skye. He kicked the second man away from her as he sheathed his knife and hoisted her onto his shoulders. He didn't know what was going on, but he wasn't going to stick around to find out. He ran through the workroom and kicked open the shutters. He heard a scream from behind him, which only made him move faster. He climbed from the window and ran to his right, moving toward the road and the front of the house. As he rounded the corner, his feet stuck fast where he stood, and he froze as fear gripped him. He couldn't move. All he could do was watch as the demon from his dreams stood pulling the one-eyed man out of the cottage, clutching his body in its claw. Just want to give a huge shout out once again to H.L. Walsh for allowing me to share this with you guys. It's kind of cool when you when you get to read something from an author and they really enjoy it. H.L. Um, Walsh and I were going back and forth as I was narrating the book and he was just very happy with how it turned out. And that just makes me super happy to hear that I can make the indie author really happy. So it's just, it's a whole lot of happiness going on. Hope it's making you as the listener happy. And if it is, remember that we are coming at you with another indie author spotlight episode, chapter three of From Men and Angels here tomorrow so stay tuned for that we'll talk to you then when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply